It's the Mike Salk Show, serviced by Jaffco Plumbing and Sewer. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Are you ready? Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the 710 Sports app and at 710sports.com. Are you ready for a good game? All right, here we go. Time to talk to Matt Hasselbeck, brought to you by Infinity of Bellevue. Great. What's going on, Matt? How are you? Yeah, I cut my uh, I cut some new Infinity of Bellevue uh, spots yesterday. Yes, you know, I love this technology, man. I'm here in Boston, Massachusetts, where it's freezing cold, single digits, yeah. and I'm just talking to you in Seattle. Some way, I got this like looks like a 1974 tie line machine owned by Bonneville, Seattle. Yes, that's cool. us. You, you guys sent it to me, so I'm appreciative. It's way better than the cell phone and. Uh, yeah, it's been a good year, man. Week 18. I've, I've really enjoyed it. This has been fun, man. I really enjoy this. I know the listeners have. I mean, the, the amount of feedback we've gotten from this is, has really been incredible. People love you. And, and you know, I think what you have is just a kind of a special insight, not just into the Seahawks and how this organization works, but, you know, what it, what it means to be a successful player in the NFL. And, and so we watch here over the last couple of weeks of the Seahawks season, it seems like a lot of people in town are doing an about face on how they feel about this season. I mean, think about where we were just a few weeks ago, the Chicago loss, that Rams loss. I mean, some of the ones over the holidays and then all of a sudden crush Detroit, beat a playoff team in Arizona, score 89 points in two weeks. And the next thing you know, people are, you know, kind of on the bandwagon again here. <laughs> that must, I mean, yes, you could spin it that way. You could say it that way. It's certainly a great way to finish. It's a great way to finish. I mean, um, I agree with everything you said. At, at the same time, you know, the, the positivity is wonderful. Like the lack of complaining, the rule two violating, like that's wonderful. I, I'm, I'm all for it. But you also still have to have that day. I mentioned Tell the Truth Monday. You got to have that day or that time where you live in reality. And you also... You know, the facts are the facts. I mean, you could say the exact same thing as you could say, you know, we scored 10 points against the Rams. We lost to the third string quarterback in Chicago and a team that fired their coach. And then we beat Detroit with a backup quarterback. And then we beat Arizona. We look great, but this is also a team that lost four of their last five. Well, like, right. They're in a downward spiral. So it's, it's like, it's both. Yeah. Like, yes, the positivity, I'm all for it. It's a great way to finish strong. At the same time, like, this is the Seattle Seahawks. There's a championship, championship sort of standard there. So to finish fourth in your division at seven and ten, like it, it, it's both. Like I, yeah. I, I appreciate that kind of like the good stories, the Rashad Penny, the Daryl Taylors. Like I love that stuff. I love it. I totally love it. But at the same time, like well, hold up, we got to live in reality here, and we got to tell the truth Monday, and we, we probably got to tell the truth January here. So, um, so let me play you some know. sound then to that end. Oh, by the way, we do have a text saying, to be fair, we like having anyone on so that there's less of Salk. Matt just happens to top that list. So, you know, look, there's a lot of a lot of reasons why people... <laughs> How, what, what have you done to people, man? Oh, they hate me, dude. Okay. You know, it's a, it's a love-to-hate thing, I think. At least that's what I tell myself so that I can sleep at night. Here, um, Here's Pete. So I asked him on Monday morning how close they were to returning to being a championship team here's his answer i think it's right there i mean i i, I wouldn't want to play us right now you know if i was another team i, I think we have the elements that that make you really dangerous that you can't you can't pinpoint where you got to stop us you know when defense is playing well enough and kicking game is good enough and, and when you have that 
foundation of the run game, then it's it's a it's a tough formula. It's always been, you know, we've been playing like that for years. And so, yeah, we have a ton of stuff uh, to look forward to with this team and the players that are uh, making up the nucleus of it. And, and uh, um, I think it's really an exciting time for us. And I'm really, I'm really pleased that we finished with a real clear illustration of who we are. Matt, do the Seahawks potentially have a championship nucleus, even if there's more work to be done? I mean, sure, for sure. But and at the same time, he's the leader. He's the head coach. He's the guy holding the fort together here. You know, he's he's the one who this team's been eliminated from the playoffs for a little bit now, and he's got to be the uh, the positivity. Do it for the guy next to you, and that's his job. And I, I've said it. I said it on here. I've said it many times. I think Pete Carroll is the right guy to be the head coach, the right guy to be the leader in Seattle. And uh, any change there would be a foolish mistake. But I'm I'm totally in his corner. At, at the same time, though, I mean, the, the facts are the facts. Seven wins this year, and the wins came against Carson Wentz, Trevor Lawrence, Davis Mills, Tim Boyle, uh, Kyler Murray. This one was good, you know, but then the other two were the, the two, four, you know, the Trey nice Lance and Jimmy G. Like, yep. I mean, you know, like, uh, you know, no one wants to play us right now. Like, uh, maybe I appreciate that. If I'm a player on his team, I love the fact that my coach is talking that way. I love the fact that he believes it. Like, uh, there's something special. And I do believe that's why my last year there, when we were seven and nine, and we had a tough year, and the new, the world champ New Orleans Saints were coming out there, and the whole world was against us. Pete, as a leader, as a positivity a guru, he had us believing that everyone in the playoffs was zero and zero, and we were all the same, and anyone deserved to win, and anyone could go out there and do it. And we believed <laughs> we could do it. And because of his leadership and because of X's and O's and scheme and, you know, everyone kind of, you know, collectively crowd noise, everybody, we did it. We absolutely did it. And he was the leader that got us there. But at the same time, you know, they, that very, you know, next month, next off season, that off season, they looked around, they're like, all right, well, <laughs> okay, well, we got to get better. And, and here's how we got to get better. And, and so like, it's both it, I, I appreciate the positivity, but like I said, well, um, I, it, it's a reality a versus Instagram kind of world to right. me a little bit sometimes when you're, when you're talking about this stuff, they're not a championship team. That much is very obvious. I, I think the question though, for Seahawks fans in, in trying to figure out what they do this offseason is how much of the nucleus can be turned into something that is a championship roster, right? Pete, Pete knows, and he's mentioned now a few times, they need to improve the pass rush. Uh, I know you agree with that. I, I, everyone who looks at this team tends to agree with that. There's offensive Yeah, if you, you want to improve the DBs, improve the pass rush. Right. That's how I feel, and I, and I think he agrees with that. Yeah, and he said it. I mean, if I could play you some more sound from Pete where he says, hey, we got to get a better pass rush, et cetera. So he's not trying to say that the team is perfect. But he he does seem to be indicating a desire to essentially run it back and saying, yep, the nucleus of Pete Carroll, Russell Wilson, John Schneider, uh, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jamal Adams, some of the some of the better players on this team, the bigger names that they don't need to rebuild. They need to retool. Yeah, I don't hear like that. You know, you've listened to him more than me. But when I've listened to Pete, I don't hear him. That's not what I hear when I hear him talk. What I hear is I have a plan. We have a plan. We know the formula to win. Mm -hmm. We know that we are going to compete at every turn, That whether that's 
you know, I mean, I, I think of the draft. Pete Carroll, John Schneider, they think of the draft as an opportunity to compete in a way that nobody else does. They're not talking about day one of the draft, day two of the draft. They're talking about getting the free agents when the draft is over. Like, that's almost when they go into high gear. There's teams around the league that that coaching staff and those scouting department, they go golfing when the draft's over. But when the the Seahawks, the way Pete Carroll and company view that thing, when that draft is over, they're competing like heck for the practice squad type guy, for the developmental top type guy that'll someday be a starter for them at a discount. You know, so like I, I think I think when I hear him say is like the we we just need to retool. Basically, we need to retool what we're doing, how we're saying it. I I don't know that it's so much about people, and um, you know, maybe maybe I'm totally wrong, but. Um, you know, I, I think the stress usually at the end of a season like this is it goes into kind of recruiting mode where you have guys that you know you want back, but mm. they're going to be free agents. And he talked and a lot about that. Yeah. You didn't re-sign them. You had the chance this whole time to re-sign them. Hey, I, I really believe in you. I, th- if you really believe in me, you could have signed me already. So now it goes into now it's almost like a recruiting your own guys. Like, l- l- we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And or, you know, hey, would you take less money to stay here? Because look what we're doing. Well, look Rashad Penny's building. a great example, right? They they'd passed on his fifth year option. Now, all of a sudden, he has this fantastic end of the year. Is that a player that if you do want to resign him, you got to try to recruit him so that he's not bitter that you said no in the past? I think for me, he's probably just happy that, like, hey, <laughs> this fit, this fits for me. Like yeah. this works. Like it, I think that's a win win. You know, here's a team that believed in me and stuck with me. And look, look how productive he's been at the end. That to me, that's the the best thing that came out of this season. How good is he? Guy huh? you, well, I mean, it, it you know it, it doesn't always happen because of one guy. Like Rashad Rashad Penny can do all he wants uh, on his part, but like the line has to play into it. The the quarterback has to keep us in situations where we can run the ball twenty three times. You know, like the the you know all of it. It, it all fits together, and and that's why that that's what I think Pete's talking about how it fits together. So you know, one of the other things that kind of jumped out to me with Pete, and I, I kind of wanted your opinion after being around him and some of the things you've said and more found this sound we were playing it earlier in the week of mike zimmer did you hear that when he was asked afterwards uh, after the final game about yeah. whether or not justin jefferson could have gotten him yeah. the record and he's like yeah i knew about that it seems so the opposite of a pete carroll who who's a couple of years ago went out of his way to get david moore their third wide receiver fourth wide receiver managed to get him a bonus by throwing him an extra pass or something like that I would think that those types of differences would mean the world to NFL players. 100%. It means a little bit to the ownership group, too. So that's just the nature of, you know, you hear coaches all all the time talk about being successful. It helps from the top down. And what do they mean by that? They mean, like, you need to have an owner that's cool with you getting players their incentives, like kind of going out of their way. Because I've been on teams or know about teams where, uh, a player was really close to an incentive and just quietly secretly the coaching staff was told hey you're not allowed to play that play that player you mm-hmm. can't let that guy go out there and get three more tackles one more sack five more catches and that's like that as a player you feel like man we're not in this together you don't have my back i'm putting it on the line for you and you you're kind of screwing me over here or you don't care 
And so, like, I think that that's one of the reasons that Seattle has been a very, very attractive place for free agents players. There's a cool factor with Pete and how they run things. And there's also that commitment in everything they do in Seattle. Well, whether it's, you know, health and nutrition, athletic training, strength and conditioning, like all that kind of stuff, the way they travel, the hotels they stay at, the the reputation is so strong in Seattle where that that's just clearly not the case uh, everywhere. Yeah, that that one really stood out to me. And, and look, obviously he's one of the seven coaches or whatever it is that's been let go now. But um, the one you, know, you mentioned, all of those advantages that you may have when you're when you're the Seattle Seahawks. One thing it felt like we used to see a lot of here were the young, you know, creative assistant coaches who were desired elsewhere. You know, there's Dan Quinn or Chris Richard or some of the guys that ended up moving up and on into head coaching jobs or other big jobs elsewhere. We're not seeing that at the moment. Are there opportunities and, and how important is it to try to improve your team through the assistant coaching ranks? Yeah, and I, I just think that that comes with success, too. You know, there's a saying in coaching, like, hey, let's all be unselfish and there's enough credit to go around. You look at all the people that are getting opportunities right now to uh, interview for head coaching jobs and stuff like that. It's it's all the teams that are doing really well right now. So uh, when, you're, when, your team, when your team has seven wins or struggling to move the ball or, you know, whatever it is. But that's been, this has been true for a couple of years now. I mean, even last year at 12 Well, they're four. losing people. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you know, some of it, too, is like who's getting the credit, Mm -hmm. you know, like, you know, and and that can be a thing. I mean, I know that we had a lot of good assistant coaches, uh, like even just in Seattle. We had some people that I thought were pretty darn good as coaches. And, you know, I don't know that they ever got the credit on the media side of it. You know, like, I don't know if the word got out about everybody, but uh, no, it's fair. I mean, you certainly see a lot of people coming from the Sean McVay tree offensively. So, um, well, you one know, of, I, I, yeah, I one of those guys was Shane Waldron. What did you, yeah, what did yeah. you learn about Shane Waldron this year and his offense and his ability to grow and call plays and all of that? What'd you learn about Shane Waldron? Yeah, I'm really curious to see, you know, what the, what the offseason breakdown would be because, you know, you go back to that Colts game early in the year where the Seahawks really did everything well. Like everything seemed to click for them. And then they just really lost their way. And everyone can point to the Russell Wilson finger as the, as the reason why, but they were, they weren't themselves before that time. But to me, like this is one of the things like I do buy into the positivity of what Pete is saying. And like this team looked great in the last two weeks, the Detroit game that was really awesome. I mentioned last week about all the naked bootlegs, how that fits into that, formula of the run game about having balance converting on third down because they're manageable scoring when you get those opportunities naked bootlegs are an opportunity for your offensive line even if it is not dominant it's an opportunity for them to dominate the line of scrimmage getting the wide receivers involved in the running game leads to the explosive runs which is what we've seen out of penny you know, so I, I really think that, you know, for the offensive coordinator, for Waldron, that's that's a great looking unit. You got Penny and maybe you get Carson and then back and then maybe a change of pace back. Like this could be a that this could be the this could be exactly what they had envisioned. Um, so, so there is some momentum there and maybe it just took a little while to figure out the pieces. But uh, yeah, I mean, that I don't I don't I don't think there's any reason for a change there. I think uh, there's just a little bit of growing pains. Yeah, I, I, I don't know that I was asking about a change, but, you know, what do, what do we now know about him that, that he can take moving forward? How much do you think he learned? Did he improve over the course of this year? 
You know, I, to me, I, it goes back to, like, I don't think this was Russell Wilson's most precise year as a passer, mm-hmm. and I don't know the reasons for that. For whatever reason, there was just a lot of times when I was seeing him miss throws that he would always make. In professional starting quarterbacks would always make those throws, and he was missing those throws. So, you know, that's that's ultimately, like, you can do all the different things you want to do. you got to get your quarterback who's making a lot of money to play like he's capable of playing. And and ultimately that's that's probably the biggest thing. If you want to spend your time camping out on something, that's where I would spend my time camping out on. And if you fix that, then immediately you're ten and seven instead of seven and ten. And and if you fix anything beyond that, now we're now yeah. we're winning more games. Uh, there's probably no wrong answer to this, but I'll put you on the spot. If you uh, who would you want to throw the ball to? Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf? <laughs> See, that's the thing. Every quarterback has their guy. Right, exactly. Who, and what the, style? For the, it's just the craziest thing how good Russ and Tyler Lockett are. They're so I mean, good it together. Is, it's amazing. And, and the funnier thing about it is, like, the defenses seem to always drop Lockett in coverage. That first touchdown, they just dropped him in coverage. It was like, I don't think Russell threw an incompletion when throwing to Tyler Lockett in that game. And he had two touchdowns. He, you know, he had the the red zone sprint out, which is like the no huddle designed for him. Like, that's like, you know what's coming. You see the formation. You know it's a sprint out. You know it's coming to Lockett. They, they still don't stop it. So, like, I just, it, it was... I don't know. It's just like every single week, no matter what kind of issues this offense is having, the uh, the connection with Tyler Lockett is never seems to be an issue. He seems to combine uh, some of the things we saw from Doug Baldwin, right? The ability to get off the line of scrimmage and get himself open with some of what Jermaine Curse had here in Seattle as well. Just that sort of innate sense yeah. for how to you know get himself open in the scramble drill once everything breaks down. It, mm-hmm. it, it's, I mean, you're more on the national level. Do, do you see people talk about him ever? It feels like he's a guy that no. gets almost – he's never made the Pro Bowl as a wide receiver. He's had three straight 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah, well, Pro Bowl's kind right. of silly how they do the voting. But, I mean, yeah, listen, I'm guilty too. Like, I've never had a receiver like D.K. Metcalf. So the answer to the question originally, I would probably pick D.K. Metcalf. Like, I would love to throw to D.K. Metcalf. But you cannot argue with the Tyler Lockett production. It's better than D.K.'s production. Now, it's, now, now D.K. brings some things, like on that Swain, Swain touchdown, it was just a straight scheme thing based on how much respect people were giving D.K. So I do think in the best wide receiver situation, I'll use Cincinnati as an example. Jamar Chase is going off right now. But it's it's how it fits together with the other two receivers that they have. You know, whether it's Higgins on the other side or Tyler Boyd on the inside. And then Jamar Chase is definitely the big play guy. So Tyler Lockett is having all this success. But to think that DK isn't a factor in why he's having that success. Or even Gerald Everett's touchdowns, a couple of them this year, were because of DK's uh, you know, I don't want to say role in the play. And so, you know, like I, I think it all fits together. Sometimes the, the receiver that clears it out doesn't get the credit because he wasn't the one who caught the touchdown pass. It's so funny listening to you because I, I feel like um, it's what makes football the greatest sport in some ways to talk about, but maybe the hardest sport to say anything definitively about. Because almost anything I throw at you, you can bring in another person's role in making that happen, 
right? There Rashad play, Penny's been great, and you're like, yeah, it's the offensive line has done this. And I say Pete Carroll is uh, able to give guys their bonuses, and you're like, ah, look what the ownership group does. I mean, it's really <laughs> and I, it's amazing. It's, it's why I think people love it's this. Just, yeah, it's just teamwork. And you know, one of the things I appreciate about Russell Wilson, I feel like I've been fairly, you know, more critical than I ever ever been about his throwing. But one of the things I really, really appreciate about him is like there was a play, there was a touchdown pass this year. I want to say it went to Everett. And he throws the touchdown pass. And instead of doing what a lot of quarterbacks do, celebrating, hey, look at me, you know, whatever, or look at the, you know, run down to the guy that I threw it to or whatever, he immediately went, I believe he went to DK Metcalf and started celebrating with him. Like, hey, this play worked because of your role on mm. this play. You know, and there's like those little things like that that don't show up at the combine necessarily. They don't show like, but they matter. They matter. And so, like, I, I do think if, if I was coaching up a young quarterback, I would find that clip and say, hey, listen, this is part of your job as a quarterback. you got to, you know, sort of celebrate those unsung heroes because uh, it's, just a, it's just a valuable part of leadership. Uh, I don't care what – I don't care if you're being a quarterback or just a member of a team. It, it's an important thing, and, and, uh, and I do appreciate some of that stuff. The Seahawks, uh, finish the sentence for me if you could. The Seahawks were at their best this year when they, what? Were using the formula that Pete Carroll believes in to win. Protecting the football, not turning it over, being balanced, dominating the line of scrimmage, competing at every opportunity. Balls on the ground, we're competing. Balls in the air, we're competing. Um, if if that if his formula that is not the DNA of your team, then the formula is no good. So that that's what I would say. I, I I think that's a great answer. And I and I one of the things we've sort of talked about is how at times it feels like in whether it's in personnel or in play calling, they've almost gotten away from some of that philosophy at times. And I know there are some in in, in Seahawks fandom out there at the twelves who who want Pete to abandon some of that philosophy. But I think the other argument is that there are times he seems to not, you know, whether it's in some of the players they brought in or in some of the play calls they make, et cetera, where they're almost compromising with it too much. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm not there. I'm not really not there. But I would say when when Pete came in as a group, he brought so many people with him from USC that everyone was together and they'd have they had years together mm. and they all knew like. I didn't need to ask the question to Pete Carroll to get the answer that Pete Carroll was going to say. Like, I could go to the strength coach. I could go to the O-line coach. I could go to the linebackers coach. Like, they they all would know how Pete would answer the question. And so when you do have a, a lot of uh, coaching turnover, uh, like they've had, and player turnover, you know, after a while you look around and, like, not everybody in the building understands, like, uh, hey, we just lost a game and we got embarrassed. Maybe it's not the time to uh, spend two hours posting really cool pictures on your Instagram, like about how great you were and some random play you had on defense. Like, <clears throat> we lost. Like, this is about winning. You know, maybe you did that on your old team where you guys lost all the time, but we don't do that here. You know, like it's just like little things that I think that he brought from a winning culture at USC to to our team. It was kind of a, whoa, hey, yeah, you're right. That's not us. We're not going to be that. And then when you have all this turnover, it's it's sort of hard to keep everybody on message the same way that uh, you know that that he did initially. I think it's an interesting point there. And when you when you talk about their strength coach, I can't help but think, what was the guy's name? The strength coach who was here. His last name was Clark, um, and I'm blanking Mike on the Clark. Mike Clark. Yeah, they're going to. I'll say this about character. 
Yeah, well, listen, and I'll say this, and they've got a great strength coach right now in Ivan Lewis. Like, I will say this from from the get-go around the league. That job of strength and conditioning coach is so important, and some teams around the league have good ones and others have just okay ones. And Seattle, this entire time, has has been really strong in strength and conditioning uh, in terms of coaches. That's an investment. That's an investment they've made in the staff, and it's also an investment that they've made uh, just in the facilities there. I have so many like Mike Clark cuts in our system from back in the day because he was such a character. Talking about I mean, what do you... the first thing that we talk about when our guys come in is that we will do eighty percent of everything we do is we do it standing up, and we will train their back, butt, and hamstrings more than anything else. Brock loved this guy. We have talked him talking about people looking like a strong Russian woman, and he's a bit of a nut, man. You got to have mean, some personalities every, is, like is, that. Uh, is is in every strength and conditioning coach? They kind of have we, to be, right? I, I mean, they sit up at night thinking and like dreaming about, okay, how am I going to make this player better? Like, how am I going to make this player stronger? How am I going to make this player not be injury prone? Like, whatever the things are, and so it's a. Uh, you know, it's a special breed. I'll just say this as a player who played a long time. I really appreciate those guys. Yeah. I really, really do. And it's it's men and women in that industry now, which is uh, which has also been a good thing. Very cool. All right. Uh, Brock asked me a question this morning that I don't know that I have a good answer to. Um, why is there so much turnover among NFL head coaches every single year? What is it about that job that causes so much failure and so much turnover? I'll ask Matt that question and go a little rapid fire with him as well as we get ready for the playoffs. Don't go anywhere. More Matt Hasselbeck next. Mike Salk Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. I got a request here via text message, Matt. I like requests. Next week, could you all make it possible for the listeners to ask some questions of Matt Hasselbeck? Mm. Are you willing to talk to listeners, or is that are you kind of above that now? No, I love I mean, I'd rather answer questions of theirs and answer questions of yours. <laughs> I don't blame you, and I think they'd probably prefer that also. So, all right, we'll see if we can make that happen next week. We'll try to take 10 minutes and uh, see if we can get some people on the phones and let them ask you some questions, all right? That so, sounds like a great plan. We'll do that next week. We'll Bro- see if Eric, our 10-year-old, likes yes. um, Hasselbeck better than you because he's be not really a big fan that of yours. That wouldn't take much, I'm going to guess. Be, <laughs> yeah, this 10-year-old kid keeps calling, and, yeah, he's very hard on me. So it's kind of the life I've carved out for myself. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. Brock asked me a question earlier this morning. I thought I'd throw it at you, which is why is there so much turnover in the NFL? And he kind of hypothesized that too much is being put on the plates of these coaches, or maybe they're not looking at the position the right way or something. Why do you think there is so much turnover and it's so hard to find the right coach in the NFL? Well, I think it's pretty consistent. I think there's usually about six every year. I think we're at seven right now. There's usually five and then a big surprise. Um, I think this year's surprise is probably the Miami Dolphins. But, you know, just having been a part of a couple of head coaching searches, I don't know that people really know what they're looking for. And sometimes a lot of this is like you do an interview with somebody and – they tell you all the things they're going to do, but you don't get to really taste it, sink your teeth into it. Be like, be like going out and talking to all the top chefs in the city. Like, tell me about your best dessert. And they tell you about it and be like, all right, I'm picking that one. But like, I'd rather just taste them. I'd rather know for sure. So like, it's a little bit of a blind date. You know, I think also expectations are really 
high for people and a lot of the people who make the decisions, whether it be owners or GMs or whatever, they're all over their own social media. Like, Oh shoot. The fans think this, I gotta, you know, they lead by that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I think it's pretty normal. I say there's somewhere between five and six every year. I feel like. Yeah, it, it does seem like a lot is asked of the head coach in today's NFL. You got to be a great leader. You got to understand the X's and O's. You got to be able to communicate with the ownership. You've got to be able to talk to people of different generations, your fan base. You got to well, your po- how, how you are at the podium, but the just, podium, yeah. that's the whole deal. I mean, there's a lot of great football coaches out there who would just fail at a podium. And like you think about guys, like if you're coaching in the, say you're the New York Giants coach. Like you got to get up to that podium, and you got to be every bit of Bill Parcells. Like you got that's that's what you got to be. And you know, Joe Judge, they said he was safe. He goes on an eleven-minute press conference where he just like talks <laughs> crazy talk. Like <laughs> he talked himself out of a job with by saying too much, and now he got fired. You know, like it's just it's a uh, the podium. I I think is a really important piece of that head coaching job. Um, that that probably gets overlooked a little. And what bit. were the Dolphins doing? What, why would you fire Brian Flores? I mean, listen, this is usually how it goes down: is that sometimes there's a struggle between scouting and coaching, and that's everywhere. So when you can get scouting and coaching on the same page, that's really strong. Like that's a really strong thing. I don't know the inner workings of what went on there. That one shocked me for sure. But my guess, if I'm if I'm making guesses, I'm thinking the guy who drafted Tua said, "Hey, Tua's the guy, and we're not looking elsewhere." And the coach probably felt like uh, I'm not so sure Tua's the guy. Interesting. So that that would, that would just be a, a wild guess. I don't. Um, I don't. I don't have inside info on that, but that would that would make that's really the only thing that would make sense to me. All right, good stuff. All right, we've got a few minutes here before we have a uh, final ranked of the regular season, but uh, let me play some rapid fire with you here. I've got I don't know five or six playoff related questions for you, and we'll see if we can buzz through them in just five minutes. A rapid fire playoff edition with Matt Hasselbeck. What is the wild card matchup you like best this weekend? Uh, picking a winner or like the yeah, game, game I can't to wait to watch. Best game to watch. I was going to say the Chiefs over the Steelers would be my winner. Best game to watch, uh, you know, I think Dallas-San Fran is going to be a really interesting one. Dallas is super talented, but San Fran can run the ball. That would be that'll be a really good game. Who is your sleeper team in the playoffs this year? Sleeper team in the playoffs would be the Cincinnati Bengals. They're, uh, they got the Raiders on a short week. They're a lot better than people think. They went toe-to-toe with Green Bay this year. Who would have thought the Cincinnati Bengals? But uh, they're they're better on defense than anybody knows. Is it fair not to trust them just because of the uniforms they wear and the city they play in? Like I said, it's top down. <laughs> you know, some of these teams, it's top down, <laughs> and like a great owner matters. And uh, the Cincinnati Bengals, they got some work to do to repair that uh, that that reputation. I think. Who is the playoff quarterback you trust the most? The playoff quarterback that I trust the most, it's a, in a weird way, I think I trust Aaron Rodgers. He's got so much on the line because I, I think he does one out of Green Bay. And uh, I think uh, I'm going to say Aaron Rodgers. I, I trust him with the football. It's so funny because Rodgers has had some of those really great playoff games, obviously. He's really had some stinkers, including the one against San Francisco a few years ago where it, it looked to me anyway from the outside when he didn't go after the fumble. It looked a lot like Cam Newton in the Super Bowl. It looked like he quit on his team to me. 
Well, that that whole team quit that day. They they just were so not physical. But they've built the team differently. They've got A.J. Dillon yep. as a second running back who can close out a game. They're much more physical up front, both sides of the ball now. And uh, and when you get the one seed and you get to play at home in Green Bay, those trust me, those teams from Florida and California and those dome teams, they don't want to go to Green Bay and play. Where did where Dillon go to school? Yeah, he went to Boston College. Just checking. Just wanted to make yeah. sure. Who was, who, was the, who was the playoff quarterback you trust the least? It's got to be Mac Jones for me. I mean, I, I like Mac Jones. He's the he's the best quarterback in that class, that rookie class. But rookie quarterbacks just have done so poorly overall. And as long as Mac wasn't turning the ball over, which now he is, um, you know, I think he's got a bright future. But between him and yeah, I'm gonna say Mac Jones. What are they playing in eight degree weather or something up there in Buffalo this weekend? Are we gonna see another three passing outing? Three that's pass actually, outing for that, Mac Jones. I don't know if you, I don't know if you've ever played a game in uh, Buffalo. That's that's kind of warm for Buffalo, <laughs> actually. It's <so laughs> miserable. Buffalo. See, I've not. I've never been to Buffalo, let alone played a game there. It seems like the worst place in America. I, I talked to one of my friends in Buffalo, and I told him the weather. He's like, "Yeah, but it's probably going to be sunny." <laughs> <laughs> and then Josh Allen, shoot, you know, he played at Wyoming, so he's you know he's he's fine. He's, he's just been used to this. It's been his whole winter, his he's whole good. life. He's good. Uh, who is the defense most likely to? dominate a game and steal one it's a great question and you never really know but i think i might go with buffalo you know like honestly having that home field advantage is a thing but last week they had more sacks than they than zach wilson the jets quarterback had completions they had eight sacks he had seven completions like that and they they don't do it by like hey we're gonna take risk and blitz you and all that stuff they just line up and play really solid d and uh yeah, they're, they're good. As long as you don't try to run it on them, which I'm looking at the teams in the AFC, none of them do that. They like to just throw the ball. Who is the team, and we seem like we see this every year, the team most likely to just look completely different in the postseason than they did for the previous 16 or 17 game regular season? You know, the team for me that's really intriguing is the Tennessee Titans. You know, Mike Vrabel has done an incredible job. They lose Derrick Henry. Their whole identity is is even more than Pete Carroll talks about running the ball. Mike Vrabel talks about running the ball. And they didn't really look that that they didn't look very good at times this year. I mean, they, they signed Adrian Peterson before the Seahawks did. They were just trying anything. And in the meantime, when... King Henry was out. They discovered some other things about their football team, and now Derrick Henry's coming back for the playoffs. This team could look really strong. Here you go. That's a little uh, rapid-fire playoff edition for Matt Hasselbeck. Talk about not getting a lot of respect. I mean, that's got to be the team with a bye, especially this year with only one bye given out in each in each conference, that people seem to have the least amount of respect for. It's true, and and you know what? They don't have the flashy toys necessarily, and run games not as sexy and exciting, but uh, I think I did a thing on their defense. They have seven interceptions since, like, week 14 and seven different players. They've got four different guys that can get after the passer. It's very much a team. Like, that. that's not a, a team of superstars. Uh, that's not a team with a couple superstars. That, that's, that's very much a team. What do you think made Vrabel a good coach? I mean, it seems like he's come in almost right away, still a young guy. I mean, his playing career is not that long ago. Why do you think he's had so much success early in his career? That guy is such a leader. Like, I can't even tell. His son is the uh, left tackle at Boston College, or was this year. And so uh, the first game of the year, we kind of tailgated together, watched the game together, and spent a little more time. and knew him as a player, played against him in college. Guy's a leader, and he's he has been well-trained. He, You know, and, and I can't say enough for how he is just as a consistent <laughs> vision setter, formula to win guy. 
uh, how we practice, how we do things. He doesn't sugarcoat anything. I'm, I'm very impressed with him. Having played in both Pittsburgh and New England couldn't have hurt either. Just kind of learning, you know, how to, how to you know, growing up in those systems with those mm-hmm. coaches had to have uh, been a pretty big impact. All right, that's yeah, what I'm sorry, go ahead. Just really like his college roommate, very similar yeah, from Ohio State, Luke Fickle, the guy at Cincinnati. Huh. Like, I think he's an excellent coach too, underrated the same way that Mike Rabel is. There you go. All right, good insight from Matt Hasselbeck getting ready for playoff time. And it probably leads into a ranked. I know Matt spends a lot of time watching film certainly a lot more than you know i do which is zero Too much too much time but i, I think that's life. what people like about you is that you come out of this with a with a bit of a film perspective so coming up next a a ranking based on film you've watched this year we'll do that with matt hasselbeck next got a list time to put it in order fred dwarmfors house top five top five meals that i have ever had this is ranked to be honest that list was really biased brought to you by carter volkswagen every morning at 9 45 on the mike salk show that top 10 list i'm not buying that ranked. all right we do this with matt and it's fun to hear his rankings a lot of them we've gone back in time, Matt, to your playing career, but with the playoffs upon us and the amount of film that you watch, thought we would do a playoff film edition of Ranked. Let's go with the quarterback-wide receiver duos, the combos, that will make a difference here in the playoffs, Ranked. Okay, fun fun guys to watch. You know, I'm leaving off some guys like Cooper Cup, Debo Samuel, Kittle, and those guys because they don't have the quarterback that I believe in in the same way. And I'm leaving off Patrick Mahomes, too, because Kelsey looked like he's banged up. Tyreek Hill's banged up. So wow. number number five, even though it's cold weather, you mentioned in Buffalo, I'm going Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs. Stephon Diggs is incredible, incredible wide receiver. And Josh Allen has one of the best arms in the history of the game, not just right now. And like I said, he played at Wyoming. So uh, I've seen him play in all the elements. It doesn't seem to matter, but a third time that they get to go up against um, the, the New England Patriots, so we'll see how that goes. Did but you that's, just that's... put Josh Allen and Diggs on this list ahead of Patrick Mahomes and his wide receiver? I'm not putting Mahomes on the list because Tyreek Hill was so hurt in this last game, mm-hmm. he couldn't even run, couldn't even play. Yeah, but Travis Kelsey's still there. Travis Kelsey on the last play of the game, they're going to hide it. They're very sneaky about hiding their injuries. He got hurt on that last play of the game, and they're like, oh, yeah, he's fine, he's fine. This is the team that pretended Mahomes didn't get knocked out last year. (laughs) This is the team that pretended he didn't need toe surgery. Like, this is the team. Like, I I, I know those guys. I might be protesting this list, but, okay, that's number five. Hey. Hey, you got to be healthy for me on this list, okay? (laughs) Availability. There you go. Availability is the best ability, okay? Number Number four. four. Underrated is all get out. Ryan Tannehill and his receiver, who I think is the Derrick Henry of wide receivers, A.J. Brown. How this guy was college teammates with D.K. Metcalf (laughs) is beyond me. A.J. Brown is the best wide receiver that we haven't talked about. Okay, and he's missed some time, and that was part of the reason that the Tennessee Titans uh, struggled for a little bit. But he's the reason that they're twelve and five, and he's the reason that they're going to be a real problem in the playoffs. Plus, they get the bye. But AJ Brown, uh, he's got one of the best stiff arms in the league. If he was a running back, and he's not, he's a wide receiver. So uh, people always like to you know try to figure out what's wrong with Ryan Tannehill. Um, I'll tell you what's wrong with him when AJ Brown's not on the field. So <laughs> all right, you're back in my good graces. Guy. I love AJ Brown. I think the world. He's Unbelievable. Okay. Number three. 
Number three, I'm going Tom Brady, and I, and I have Mike Evans in here because he's just such an incredible red zone threat. But if I'm really being honest, I don't think that Mike Evans is his love button, like go-to guy, gotta have it situation, this is my guy. There's this other guy named Rob Gronkowski. And just having played against these guys a, a, a bunch of times, you know it's coming, you still can't stop it. And that's a very, very frustrating place to be. Uh, when you know it's coming, you can't stop it. And that, that's really what Brady is. He won the passing uh, title this year. He's getting better as he gets older. So the, those two guys in the red zone, if you're playing daily fantasy or something, super safe hmm. bets. All right. Okay, number two. I mean, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase took the league by storm this year. And I really think the, the, the NFL did the Las Vegas Raiders a real disservice. So they played in that late overtime game just the other night and now they're got to go on a short week six days and they got to go to cincinnati and play in the early game meanwhile other playoff teams are getting eight days they get six and uh having sort of been that smaller market seattle team where they would make us do that wild card weekend maybe that's part of the reason why i feel that way but i just think joe burrow and jamar chase are going to pick up where they left off and uh and really continue to take the league by storm here in the playoffs I might not allow you to keep talking about things like the Bengals because it's just making Justin crazy in the other room. Huge Bengals fan. <laughs> and he's like, he's losing it. He's screaming like he's a fan in the stadium right now. And I've had just nothing to root, root for for a Bengals. long time here. Let yeah. me have this one. All right. Well, funny thing about my youngest son, Henry, is uh, he's a diehard Bengals fan. And even, you know, obviously I was playing in Seattle. Uh, for whatever reason, Blitz, the Seahawks, scared him when he was really, really little. And yet Bengal Tigers, because I think in Issaquah there's like a tiger viewing zoo okay. up in there somewhere. And we took him there for a birthday party, and he loved Bengal Tigers after that. All so right. the Bengals were his team for, for way too many years. Well, he's he is also being rewarded right now, much like Justin <laughs> is. We'll see if they actually win a playoff game before we get too excited number one on your list listen number one hard to go against this combination Devonte adams with aaron Rodgers. you know it's coming you can't stop it they do this thing where they call running plays it's not really even an rpo it's literally just calling a running play and aaron Rodgers will give what i call the pez candy signal out to Devonte. so if you remember the pez candy dispenser yeah where it just like the it's sort of like a little chin nod you just be like you know, head up. You know, I wish I could do it for you on television right now. A little Pez. Give me the Pez. If you give me the Pez, I'm just throwing you the ball. You just go make somebody miss. Or I'm telling, hey, block for him. I'm throwing to him. So a little Pez candy dispenser signal by Aaron Rodgers. Just, you know, a little chin, chin up nod uh, on a running play. What do you do if you're a defense? You got A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones coming at you with good downhill runs. And you got Devontae out there. It, it's a real problem. Um every which way you slice it so that that's uh again with the one seed weather doesn't factor in for them um you know they're so used to it but that's that's the best combo in the good. playoffs right now we used to call that the hockey nod when we were kids the, the like hockey a, nod the hockey players would always give each other the cool uh, little quick nod like that if we're being honest this is probably the nod that you gave like a, a cute girl in a jeep at me a red light yeah like when you were in high school like oh there's a cute girl next to me at a red light and driving I, my know, eagle talon I'm, yeah i'm yeah, sure i'm sure she would have been really impressed you look over yeah you look over you make eye contact and you just give her the you know you give her the pez yeah i wasn't a cool so. quarterback at Severian. i couldn't pull that stuff off sorry <laughs> well i didn't have a driver's license or a car so it's, is it uh, true 
Yeah, I was. I was. I turned seventeen. Oh, I was seventeen in college. So, I, yeah, Whoa, I never. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's a whole other part of your world. We'll have to explore sometime. All right, I like that Matt Stafford wasn't on the list. That guy's a pick throwing machine. I agree <sighs> that you got obvious yeah. problems in uh, San Francisco with the quarterback, but it does kind of bum me out not to see Debo Samuel on there because that guy's awesome. I love. He's him. amazing. I really he is like amazing. Him a lot. There All were right. too many good receivers, so I needed to cut it down to five. So I added the quarterbacks into the list. Very cool. All right, Matt. Thank you. Great job as always. We'll do it again next week. We'll have playoff games to talk about. We'll talk to you then.